And that was The Smiths with a track called I Won't Share You from their 1987 album Strange Ways. Here we come. This is David Eastall and this is The C86 Show. Hello once again, dear listener. This is, as I said, David Eastall, The C86 Show, bringing you the finest in indie pop from the golden decade. That was the 80s. As always, we like a special guest. And this week, it's no difference because I caught up with musician and drummer with North London's finest band, Bob. Yes, remember Bob. They used to be at the Arts Centre all the time. They basically lived there. So I'll be talking to Dean Leggett to find out more about life, love and poetry and all that sexy sort of stuff that happens when you're in an indie band. And all the other stuff that also happens that means that you probably want to smack your head against the wall occasionally and go, ah, life's not fair. But anyway, it's a groovy interview. You should definitely listen to it because it might just change your life. And as always, the playlist is going to be just solid gold, easy action from start to finish. But to kick off the show, we're going to play that classic that we all came to love on Cat's Caravan. Mmm, 
interest and reference. This is Convenience. Turn up your volumes.
Rock and roll, there you go. That is REM and the track called Radio Free Europe. That came from their 83 album Murmur. And before that, we had our special guest for this week. Yes, it's Bob and the track called Convenience because um, I caught up with drummer Mark. Mark? There's not no, no Mark there at all. Just edit that last bit out. Dean Leggett from the band to find out more about what, was it, what it was all about because Bob used to be one of those bands that was often at the Norwich Arts Centre and at the Wild Club. Remember those good old days? And um, also that track appeared on a fantastic compilation called Cat's Caravan, spelt with a K, obviously. Uh, the History of John Peel on the radio, which is a fantastic, um, I think it's a double album, but it's got 74 tracks, lasted for over four and a half hours. And it, it features everybody that John Peel used to like, just everybody. Well, not literally, only 74, and he'd probably like more than that. But it's worth checking down or uh, tracking down. Anyway, this is David Eastall, The C86 Show. And as I say all the time, bringing the finest in indie pop from the golden decade. I'll tell you how to get in touch with the show right after we've heard from Girls at Our Best and a track called Warm Girls. <laughs>
Nice. There you, go. there you go. That's the Pogues on the track called If I Should Fall From the Grace of God With God. God, concentrate, David. Look, If I Should Fall From the Grace With God. And that's from this self-titled album that came out in 88. And before that, we had Girls At Our Best, the track called Warm Girls, from their, I think it was 81 album, called Pleasure, which is probably available on Vinyl Japan Records. Mm-mm, I like the facts. Anyway, this is David Esau. This is The C86 Show. And if you'd like to contact me, we always like your messages. You can via Twitter or Facebook. Just go to at C86 Show and um, I'll be there happily receiving your messages. And uh, thank you to all the people who've been in touch. It's always nice to hear you out there. And this definitely goes out to David and Rachel, who I know um, we caught up with recently. Hope all is good with you. And this is another, because our special guest should tell you this, is Bob, because I caught up with Dean Leggett from the band. And um, we were just going through some of their old stuff, which is now, I think a lot of it is coming out on the Cherry Red record label. Good old Cherry Red. They had, um, yes, they've had two so far. I think they've had the singles and EPs and also another one expanded edition called leave the straight life behind so there you go and this is brian wilson's bed which i've been really pleased with myself because i the temptation to say bob wilson's bed was really strong but anyway this is from a john pill session because we love john pill so there and i'll be bringing you that interview a little bit later one two three four two three four <laughs> Like somebody else's There's no hope for my body And I've lost most of my senses So now I can't stop the rot from setting in I realise now that what I'm in is Brian Wilson's bed Brian Wilson's bed 
But I can't afford the LSD So I'm dropping strongly sweet and tea in Brian Wilson's bed Brian Wilson's bed for me It's the last place where I can really function I'd love to go and live But with scant trace of compunction I can lie and sweat the live long day And smoke and read my teens away in Brian Wilson's bed Brian Wilson's bed Forsaken by the world at large Dear, it's the perfect camouflage For a dull boy with less soul Than the Wigan Casino I languish here just flicking through Back issues of Beano So I'm dropping strongly sweet and tea in Brian Wilson's bed 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 Brian Wilson's bed
Oh, Miss Faden dying quickly there. That's, yes, as you could have probably guessed, is Elvis Costello and the attractions on the track called What's So Funny About Peace, Love and Understanding. That came out on their 1979 album Armed Forces and that was produced by the one and only Nick Lowe, but also written by him as well. So there you go, Nick Lowe, go. That was written in 1974. I'm doing lots of research here by just looking at Wikipedia. And before that, we had the unmistakable sound of Bob, and that was a track called Brian Wilson's Bed, and not uh, the Arsenal goalkeeper, Bob Wilson's Bed. I'm not sure which bed would you rather be in. I didn't realise this until quite recently, that John Wilson, who does the front row arts programme on um, BBC Radio 4, is actually um, Bob Wilson's father. So there you go. It all ties in in one holistic love fest. Anyway, this is David Eastall bringing you this C86 show on Future Radio. And as I said this week, it's the special guest of Bob. So I'll be bringing you that interview very soon because um, it's quality chat and I don't want to miss any of it. But a bit earlier to Today I caught up with Colin Newman from the band Wire, and this. Um, so I thought I should play them a track because they're going to be in Norwich very soon, and uh, at the waterfront. And this is Outdoor Minor. No blind spots in the leopard's eyes can only help to jeopardize the lives of lambs. The shepherd cries. To life for a silver fish, eternal dust, less ticklish than the clean room, a house gas way. He lies on his side as he tries to hide. In fact, it's the earth which is nonsense, but he lies on his side as he tries to hide. In fact, it's the earth which is nonsense, but Worker, a serpentine miner, a roof falls, an underliner of leaf structure, the egg timer. But if there's a lesson to be learned I mean it's stupid or happier Being 
Nice stuff all the way from Birmingham. That is the uh, fantastic sound of Mighty Mighty in the track called Throwaway. And before that, we had Wire, an outdoor minor. And like I said, I caught up with Colin Newman from the band. Um, actually, only just this morning. So I'll be bringing you a, a Wire feature or special on this very exciting show, the C86 show, probably in a few months' time, because I've got a bit of a backlog. Anyway, look, this week's um, special guest is Dean Leggett from the band Bob. So what I'm going to do, because I'm planning this to the second, I'm going to play one more track by the band. Well, I'll play several more tracks by the band. And then the first part of the interview. But this is another one from the John Peel session. This is who... Um, who you are. God. I got there in the end. There you go. What a fantastic rhythm. There you go. That's um, Bob and the track chord. 
who you are. And that was from a John Peel session that went out on the 5th of February, 1989. And I really should put that out to uh, Barry Newman, who used to run the Wild Club back in the days at the Norwich Arts Centre, because he used to do a lot of fantastic evenings, which I think used to be on a Monday um, down at the on St Benedict Street, and I believe he did put a bob on quite a bit. But anyway, this is going to be my first part of the interview with Dean Leggett from the band. When we talk about all those exciting things, um, including reissues of the uh, the band's material, which is probably all coming out on Cherry Red Records. Take it away, Dean. Yes. Um, so far on, uh, well, it's Cherry. Well, it's 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 a it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a company called Three Loop, which is um, based through Cherry Red as a distribution company. And Three Loop um, is a label run by Julian Fernandez, and they started uh, five or six years ago, I think, and they started putting out uh, some compilations by bands around that period, Family Cat, Cud, um, that is, those sorts of bands. And they approached us um, four years ago, uh, and they wanted to put out the uh, Leave the Straight Life album. Yeah. Uh, reissue that and we managed to get all of John Peel sessions from the BBC which took some doing um, we've got those and they went on the second CD of that release so the album was remastered with the Peel sessions on the second CD and last year they put out the singles compilation which is all of our singles b-sides and some extra tracks and the current plan uh, at the moment is that um, next year there will be um, a new double CD album uh, of unreleased Bob material. Um, and I think at last count, um, I spoke to Richard and Simon recently, uh, and they're working on the mixes of these tracks. They're all based from, you know, 1988 to 1993 or something. There was yeah. over 200 released tracks. <laughs> <laughs> Quite a lot of them were recorded in, in, in good studios. We did demos for EMI and... and I think there was one for Virgin, and there was lots of, and the album that was going to come after "Leave the Straight Life Behind" that was all demoed up and ready to go. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, we never got to that stage. So, there's a lot of great stuff. Um, probably the best stuff we ever did was the stuff we did before we split up. So, that's all coming out next year on, yes. on a double, and um, the year after that, uh, I think uh, in 2018, there's going to be a 30-year. Um, seven-inch re-release of Convenience with two new tracks on the B-side. Wow. Because obviously you formed in the mid-80s when I suppose I often think in the, the glory years of indie pop started about 82, 83 with the Smiths kind of first yeah. kind of single and release and kind of continued quite merrily in a jingly-jangly sort of way throughout the 80s until we, we got, I suppose, to the rave and then the grunge culture and then things started to... The fade, like most things do. So when you formed, you know, were you sort of part of that world that was kind of obsessed with those kind of early indie um, indie bands? Um, well, I don't know if, if we were obsessed with it. We found ourselves in it. We were playing in clubs with, with other bands in London, um, in, in Portland Square. There was a club there that we used to play all the time. And, you know, and I think after the Peel session, uh, the first Peel session, and after he started playing the Flexi, uh, you know, a lot of bands were playing getting their flexies played on the radio in those days. Um, we sort of got stu sucked into that sort of mid-80s, 86, 87 London um, sort of indie scene. Um, I don't know whether we actually liked those bands that much. Um, I guess we did. 
because yes. we played with them. But I mean, uh, we were always listening to different stuff. We'd always have uh, Crosby, Stills and Nash on in the van. We'd always have Julian Cope on in the van. You know, we'd always have uh, other stuff that wasn't music revolved around that scene. A lot of reggae, surprisingly, we had on in the van as well. Um, so, uh, and I think that's we started changing our music. I mean, after convenience, we started going a little bit, little bit heavier with the tunes. Yeah. And then, Lead the Straight Life is obviously quite a dark album, uh, even though it's got some good pop moments. Yes. And then the, the later stuff as well. It, it got more heavy. It got more grungy. I don't. I don't. We didn't go into the, that sort of Nirvana stroke area, but we did pick up on on guitars, you know, a bit more. And indeed, there you go. That's the first part of my interview with Dean, talking about. Um the days of Bob and various reissues that are coming out. And like I said, Cherry Red Records seems to be sort of putting out quite a few compilations of their work at the moment, and um, it's all very exciting. I do love Cherry Red Records. But to keep the show rolling, and also we've got another, I think, three parts of that interview. Um, Yes, this is a band that I haven't played yet, but I saw live many years ago, and I thought they were rather exciting. This is The Janitors, and the track called Good To Be King.
You get the gist. It's a bit noisy, but they go on for several days. But um, yes, live, they were fantastic. That was the Genesis and track called, called Good To Be King. And now this is the second part of my interview with Dean from Bob, where we talk about his early life. <laughs> Not that early, actually. We don't go back to his childhood and nappies. But uh, we talk about uh, Jamie Wednesday and all that groovy stuff. Well, when I was in Jamie Wednesday, obviously, which was pre-Carter, you know, we were playing with the June Brides every other week because they were on the pink label as well. So, uh, and also um, the Wolfhounds were on pink, um, Dave's band, old band, and uh, I can't remember, McCarthy, I think they were also on the pink label. Yes. So we did a lot of, uh, I mean, with Jamie Wednesday, I did a lot of gigs with those guys. And then... um, when we moved on uh, to Bob, you know, we ended up playing with, with Carter, who, you know, um, went on to, moved on. And um, so we, still being friends with Jim and Les, we got quite a lot of support gigs with, with Carter. Yeah. So we sat nicely with them as well in a, in a, in a, in a, in a pop tune sort of way, just that they were a little bit, a little bit more heavy than we were. Yes. But it worked, it all worked. And, um, you know, I still, I still, I'm still friends with all those guys and I still keep in touch with Dave, Callahan, Wolfhounds and, you know, I still keep in touch with Jim and Les and what they're doing these days. Well, the, the interesting thing, because what I sort of found when I've been doing this show and sort of interviewed a lot of bands is that everyone seems to have got about a five-year arc, you know, a narrative, <laughs> where we sort of sort of they make a sound and they quite think, oh, this is all right, and then they get the single and it hopefully or fortunately gets picked up with John Peel and then things start to roll quite quickly and then the album, then the tour and, and then the sort of around the second, possibly third album, things start to get very sort of tired and people get a bit emotional, I suppose. Yeah, I think the scenes moved quicker then. I mean, it, it seemed to, you know, people jump bands a lot quicker and I think the sound has changed quicker, even within the same category of indie, you know, the sounds really did change and there's new stuff coming through all the time, and you will. I think everyone was looking for new stuff. Um, well, it was interesting. Bands like the Happy Mondays, who were sure. who were sort of quite a indie pop, uh, indie pop band, and you know things like Freaky Dancer and that first album. Yes, exactly. And yeah. then they were able to sort of somehow sort of marry themselves into the sort of uh, the rave scene and became sort of an anthem. And bands like James is also, of course, were, were another band who managed to do that. And Stone Roses, of course, who, who I saw before the first album came out, and I saw them, you know, when they had long hair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were they were intrinsically a pop rock band as far as I could see. Yes. You know, and then um, you know, four months later, that they were playing at Camden Dingwalls, which we went to. I think all of us, all the all the Bob boys went to that, and um, you know, they were a completely different outfit. Yes, know. they they had changed their sound so much. Yeah. So, how did you find being you know the early years as as things progressed and you had to deal with sort of you know recording albums, record labels, and all that kind of stuff? Um, I mean, we we had a lot of help in the fact that um, we. We went with a label in London called Sombrero, which was run by a good friend of ours. Um, and um, we self-funded all our own recordings at the beginning um, until we got a couple of publishing contracts, uh, which paid for the singles. Basically, what would happen is that we would we would record uh, some songs and then we'd go to the publisher. The publisher would say, I like it. He would give us a small advance and that advance would cover the costs of making you know, a limited run of either seven inches or 12 inches. Yeah. And then we'd put those out. They'd always seem to do well. They'd always in the chart. Uh, we'd sell out and then we'd move on to the next one. And, and that carried on until the Leave the Straight Life album, which did great. I mean, you know, I, I can't remember how many we sold it. It indie charted in the album charts. And um, the pre-sales were very good. 
And I think it would have done better if, you know, if Rough Trade hadn't collapsed. I mean, we basically lost all the stock we had right. when Rough Trade went down. So um, that was the end of that, really. And then there was no money coming back from it. So hence, we couldn't we couldn't afford another another album. The plan was that from the sales of that album, which I'd think I think it reached six to eight thousand at that point, um, should have funded album two. Yes. But um, so then we shopped around. We went to studios, getting free time, um, and we tried to get more interested in putting out another album. But we just, we just, it just didn't happen. Unfortunately, not. And yes, the world of rough trade records it did sort of um, come at a rather difficult time. They any, anyway, that was uh, Dean Leggett from the band Bob. So I've still got another two parts of the interview to go. But to keep the party rolling, I thought we should play something from the Pixies. This is Monkey Gone to Heaven. <laughs> Obviously, yes, that's the Pixies and Monkey Gone to Heaven. This is David East of the C86 Show, and this is the third part of my interview with Dean 
Leggett from the band Bob, where we talk about the John Peel sessions and also the gatekeeper, Del Griffith. He? he was, yes. I mean, the, the Simon um, bumped in when, when the Flexi had come out. Um, Simon was in Rough Trade uh, in Notting Hill uh, with some copies of the Flexi, and it was by chance that, that Peel was in there, and Simon had a chat with him, I believe, and um, gave him a copy of the Flexi. And, um, you know, a few weeks later, there it was on the radio, and then a few weeks after that, it was the first session. So, you know... Uh, and that was what was great about Peel. You know, he used to get bands in, you know, for sessions all the time, every day of the week. And, he, you know, he'd pick up on anything, really, that he liked. And I think Convenience, obviously, was one of his one of his favourite tunes and in this festive 50, and he used to play it a lot. So yeah. we were very lucky with him. I know. And also, you, you have a, a the track is... Um, on Cat's Caravan, that amazing compilation that came out. Sure, that's which, right. Which was was good. And also, did you enjoy doing the sessions with John Peel? You know, the... well, well, yes, but I mean, John wasn't there. No. I mean, John would be back in in main studio. In fact, we had um, we had various uh, guys producing, but we had Dale Griffin once uh, for Mott the Hoople fame, yeah. um, who was uh, should I uh, hard to say a very hard work. Um, you know, he he seemed to. You had you basically had four hours to do the session, so that would include setting up time, uh, miking everything up, doing the songs and the overdubs and the singing and any extra guitars. And basically, when you went, your time limit was up. That was it. And I remember um, when we'd finished. I think it was the second appeal session, or maybe the third one. Um, we went into the listening room and basically he started putting on the tracks, right. which were very, very drum and bass heavy, which they would be, um, him being, you know, the bass player of What the Hoople. And um, I think Richard suggested to him that could we change something or redo a guitar line or something. And he basically, in so many words, told us to <laughs> off and uh, get down the pub, and what you get is what you get when you come back. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't have a lot of control in the Peel Sessions. I imagine bands like The Fall and people like that who were much more regular probably had a bit more say in it but I think a lot of the bands of our size that went in to do one or two sessions and I think I remember speaking to a couple of other bands who who had the same sort of problems. You basically you got what you got when it when you heard it on the radio well, that was pretty much the first time you heard it. Yes. Uh, the mix of it. Well it's know. interesting because I know with a few bands actually the the, the John Peel sessions probably sounded a bit better or, or more immediate than the, some of the studio albums. Absolutely, that came out. absolutely. So I mean, they were, they were totally live. Um, you recorded everything live. It was basically the red light comes on. It's a take. You got two or three takes at it, tops. I mean, they'd always suggest to you that you need to get it in one take. So the pressure was sort of on. Yes. Um, and, then, and that was it. So it was, it was pretty much like playing live. I mean, the, it, the sound was always great through the, through the headphones being, you know, in in made available, but um, you know we were rec we were recording it in you know one of the rooms that the Beatles recorded in, so that was quite cool. That must have been very cool indeed. Anyway, that was my third part of the interview with Dean, and uh, because time is running on, I'm just going to go straight into the fourth part where I ask him that um, emotional question about coming when things come to an end. Well, I think we were we were touring out. We were we were we were trying to raise money to do another album after Lead the Straight Life. Um, we weren't getting much joy. We were getting demos. We we were nearly signed 
to EMI. Um, we'd, we'd done some new tracks and we, we demoed much stuff for the new album. And we had a, a guy in uh, EMI who was 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 really really up for doing stuff with us, and he was spending a lot of money on Duran Duran's uh, comeback release at the time, which was I think the album that the the bomb theme track came from. I can't remember which one it was. Yeah. They were spending a lot more money on them than they'd imagined. Uh, they had a couple of other bands in the pipeline. Uh, there was us and a band called Radiohead from Oxford, and. Um, we had a call from the EMI office. Um, I think his name was David, I think. He called us up and um, we uh, we were, uh, weren't in. We were out on the road and I think we stopped at a service station. I think Watford Gap on the way back from somewhere. We phoned into him and he was saying, look, guys, um, it's all looking good. Um, you know, uh, I'm getting some numbers together and, you know, we should get the go ahead soon. So, of course, at that point, I phoned my mother, you know, tell her we'd been signed to EMI. And it turned out two weeks later that they decided to sign Radiohead instead with a bigger budget and um, put the rest of the money into Duran Duran. So we got dropped. Um, and after that, I think hearts sank. And um, uh, I think we just decided we went on another tour, I think. And, I, uh, and we used to go on lots of tours and we'd, we'd go all over Europe. And I think we pretty much wore ourselves out and decided that, you know, enough was enough and we needed to stop yeah because actually you did you you break that five five year span and you almost go for 10 years which is which yes that's right i think that would have i mean it would have been great you know we had we had we had a couple of singles in the pipeline for emi and a, a new album you know and so i think it, you know it could have it could have made us bigger it, it, it might have why not? We don't know. But no. um, the material was very good and, um, you know, it was, it was much better than we'd previously put out, we thought. Yes. Um, so, you know, we were excited about it uh, at the time. But, but you know, it, it didn't stop us. Everyone's still doing music now. You know, everyone's everyone's still doing their own thing. We're all in bands. We're all still playing. Which is a nice thing. Anyway, that was the last part of my interview with Dean Leggett. So thank you ever so much for giving me the time. That was Bob. Uh, this has been David Eastall on the C86 show. And to finish it all off, this is another track from the John Peel session. This is Esmeralda Brooklyn. Have a great week. Oh,